Yep, so my, my, my name is Fraser. Um, I'm usually stood a bit further back, so this is not my usual spot, but I feel really privileged actually to be here and to be able to talk to you. Um, I am from up north, and if you can't understand me, and I do speak a bit fast sometimes, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, deal with it, yeah. Um, so we've been talking the last few weeks, the theme has been Jesus built his church, and we're going to be continuing that tonight. Um, wow. Um, but before we do anything, I'd just like us to pray. I know we're a bit excited about ice cream, but um, let's just close our eyes together. And let's just pray together. Father God, I thank you that we are your church. I thank you that we uh, represent the movement of your kingdom on earth. I thank you that we can have fun together. I thank you that we can experience you together. And God, I, I feel so inadequate being able to speak your word tonight, but I thank you that you have every qualification to come and speak to us. Come and speak to us individually, come and speak to us corporately, and we just pray that you'll have your way. Amen. Um, so before we arrive in our passage tonight, which is Acts chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles, you can be flicking to that. Um, I just wanted to set the passage in a little bit of context, which I think is important to do. Um, so the, the backdrop to this passage in the whole of the New Testament, um, we find in the Gospels, we, we see the, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection of, of Jesus. Um, after he's ascended from the grave, we witness this 40-day period in which uh, Jesus is encountering his followers. He goes to prove that he's alive, he's conquered death. Um, and before he ascends into heaven, he, he brings this, um, this directive and it's called the, the Great Commission, um, and he's setting his, setting his disciples on, on this mission. Um, I'm sure you've heard this passage before, Matthew 28, that says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Um, but before he sets them out on this mission, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem. He says, hang on a minute, wait for this, message, wait for this gift that my Father has promised you, which is the Holy Spirit. Um, in John 14, Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to ascend to heaven and leave you here on your own. I'm going to leave you with um, the power of the Spirit, and I'm going to leave you with um, a calling and direction and a mission. Um, and then, as we've talked about recently, we see the Holy Spirit come at Pentecost. Um, there's this sudden um, overflow of God's Spirit on his people. And at one point, we see them all speak in different languages, which represents this mission of God spreading to the whole world. So God's doing something global now, uh, which is really exciting. And then as we journey into the book of Acts, we see the church beginning to find its feet. Um, we see the gospel being pronounced. We see sermons. We see fellowship. We see healing. Uh, we see persecution. We see death. And remember that Jesus said, take this into the whole world. This stuff all happens even before they've left Jerusalem. Um, so it's moving very, very quickly. And actually, God uses the persecution of the church to move and advance the gospel out of Jerusalem. Um, and before we arrive in our um, passage this evening, um, we're going to look at a guy called Peter, who has this incredible vision 
um, which I'm not going to go into too much detail about, but basically he's, he's telling Peter it's, it's okay. The message translation said, it's, if God says it's okay, it's okay. And he's giving Peter the authority to go and do what Jews haven't been able to do before because God is moving globally now. And the one question that I want, if you take anything away from tonight, I want it to be this question. and I want it, it to be a challenge to you. I want it to be an encouragement to you. And it's this question here, which I think is a question that we need to ask ourselves individually. I think it's a question that we need to ask ourselves as the church. And just taking a second now, just ask yourself this question. How and to whom are you being a witness to Jesus and the gospel? How and to whom are you being a witness to Jesus and the gospel? Okay, let's read our passage. I'm going to read this from the message translation, which might be a bit funky if you've got the NIV or something like that. So I've got this on the screen, so if you want to follow with me, you can do. Um, So let's read this together. As Peter, puzzled, sat there trying to figure out what it all meant, the men sent by Cornelius showed up at Simon's front door. They called in asking if there was a Simon, also called Peter, staying there. Peter, lost in thought, didn't hear them. So the spirit whispered to him, three men are knocking at the door, looking for you. Get down there and go with them. Don't ask any questions. I sent them to get you. Peter went down to the men and he said, I think I'm the man you're looking for. What's up? They said, Captain Cornelius, a God-fearing man, well known for his fair play, ask any Jew in this part of the country, was commanded by a holy angel to get you and bring you to his house so he could call, uh, so he could hear what you had to say. Peter invited them in and made them feel at home. The next morning, he got up with them. Some of his friends from Joppa went along. A day later, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had relatives and close friends waiting with them. The minute Peter came through the door, Cornelius was up on his feet greeting him and then down on his face worshipping him. Peter pulled him up and said, None of that. I'm a man and only a man, no different from you. Talking things over, they went on into the house, where Cornelius introduced Peter to everyone who had come. Peter addressed them. You know, I'm I'm sure this is highly irregular. Jews just don't do this, visit and relax with people of another race. But God has shown, just shown me that there is no race better than any other. So the minute I was sent for, I came, no questions asked, but now I'd like to know why you sent for me. Cornelius said, four days ago, about this time, mid-afternoon, I was at home praying. Suddenly there was a man right in front of me, flooding the room with light. He said, Cornelius, your daily prayers and neighbourly acts have brought you to God's attention. I want you to send to Joppa to get Simon, the one they call Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner down by the sea. So I did it. I sent for you and you've been good enough to come. And now we're all here in God's presence, ready to listen to whatever the master put in your heart to tell us. Peter exploded with this good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favourites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The message he sent to the children of Israel, that through Jesus Christ, everything is being put together again. Well, he's doing it everywhere, among everyone. You know the story of what happened in Judea. It began in Galilee after John preached a total life change. Then Jesus arrived in Nazareth, from Nazareth, anointed by God with the Holy Spirit, ready for action. He went through the country helping people and healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. 
He was able to do all this because God was with him. And we saw it, we saw it all. Everything he did in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem where they killed him, hung him on a cross. But in three days, God had him up alive and out where he could be seen, but not everyone saw him. He wasn't on public, public display. Witnesses had been carefully handpicked by God before, um, by God beforehand, us. We were the ones there to eat and drink with him after he came back from the dead. He commissioned us to announce this in public, to bear solemn witness that he, in fact, he is in fact the one whom God destined as judge of the living and the dead. But we're not alone in this. Our witness that he is the means to forgiveness of sins is backed up by the witness of all the prophets. And no sooner were these words out of Peter's mouth than the Holy Spirit came on the listeners. The believing Jews who had come with Peter couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe that the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the outsider, the non-Jew. But there it was. They heard him speaking in tongues and they heard him praising God. So I've got three points tonight that I want to, um, I want to bring to you. The first is uh, commitment to the outsider. Peter was one of the first disciples. He was a fisherman by trade. Um, he returned to being a fisherman after Jesus had died. He was the disciple who was famously renamed from Simon to Peter, which means rock. But he was often the opposite of that. He was often impulsive and rash. He denied Christ. He was told off by Christ. And he fell asleep with the others prior to Jesus' trial. But he was passionate. Um, he was committed and he was a trier. And that's, I love Peter for that reason. He's very uh, relatable. And in the Gospels, speaking to Peter, Jesus declares, This is why I've called you, Peter, which means rock. For on this rock I will build my church, and the church will reign triumphant even at the gates of hell. And just before this, um, this reading of, from Je- Jesus' words here, we, we see that Christ asks his uh, disciples, Who do you say I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter's the one that acknowledges Jesus to be the Messiah, the one who's been sent to redeem Israel and, and to, to bring God's kingdom to earth. And it's on this rock, it's on the faith of Peter that Christ is going to build his church. And we see this same Peter. Um, he's described in the beginning of Acts as an ordinary, unschooled man, uh, as a forerunner in the early church. And then we arrive in our passage. God is permitting Peter here to engage in a, in a radical way beyond the boundaries of Jewish culture, beyond the boundaries of uh, Jewish community. Uh, in verse 28, Peter addressed them saying, you know, I'm surely this is, this is highly irregular. Jews just don't visit and relax with people of another race. So this is, this is something, this is a big deal here. Um, I think we lose a little bit of that social context, but this is a big deal. Um, Peter's crossing boundaries here. And the Jewish backstory, the, the backstory of Israel is that they were called out to be a holy people, a unique people on earth. And um, they had family-focused covenants, nationally-focused um, rituals and practices that made them, set them apart from the rest of the world. Um, and their failure to commit to God, um, the collapse of their kingdom, their exile into foreign lands, um, led them to be a people who had their identity pulled away from them. And I think in the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this real development of a, a religion that became so introverted and so self-focused that when Jesus arrives, they're very, very distant from, from the context they're in. And so Jews didn't keep company with non-Jews, it just didn't happen. And Peter, unavoidably brought up in this context, had that on his mind. 
So I think we need to recognise that this is, this is quite important, the context here is quite important, that Peter's speaking to a, a group of people here who Jews just, they just don't mix with. But this was never supposed to be Israel's story. They were called to be holy, they were called to be unique, they were called to be different and set apart, but they were also called to be inclusive and loving as they represented God on earth. And in Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses says to the people, you must treat outsiders with the same loving care as you received. Remember, you were once outsiders in Egypt too. See, the outsider has always been on God's agenda. The outsider is, um, God is committed to the outsider. And when we arrive in the New Testament, as Jesus did so beautifully, so perfectly, he brought things back to God's original intention. And famous, Jesus is famous for engaging people who are outsiders. He's, he's famous for engaging with the prostitutes and the sick, and the demon-possessed, the foreigners, the adulterers. All those people who the Jewish system had pushed to one side and cast aside. Mark chapter 2, Jesus says, People who have their health don't need to see a doctor. Only those who are sick do. I'm not here to call those already in good standing with God. I'm here to call sinners to turn back to him. And why does he say that? Because God is committed to the outsider. Jesus is committed to the outsider. And the, right, the unrighteous have always been on God's agenda. The dirty and the filthy and those who are broken have always been on God's agenda. And it's this rhythm of inclusivity that, that Peter's caught up in here. And it's the rhythm of inclusivity that God's calling us to as his church. Because God's committed to the outsider. We're called to be, com- to be committed to the outsider as well. And Jesus actually goes to the extent of saying in Matthew 25, he says, I tell you this, whenever you saw a brother hungry or cold, when you saw a sister weak or without friends, when you saw the least of these and ignored their suffering, you ignored me as well. And as his church, the great commission for us is to go into all the world, it's to go to the broken, the lost, the hungry, the, the poor, those who have got no purpose in life, the outsiders, all those who don't know Jesus as their saviour. And it's to bear witness to the good news we have in the gospel. And so I want to bring you back to this question again. If you can pop that up, that's great. So in light of the Great Commission, in light of the calling that we have as God's people, we inherit this calling. How and to whom are you being a witness to Jesus and the gospel? He's being a witness even on your agenda. He's the outsider on your agenda. How and to whom are you being a witness to Jesus and the gospel? So committed to the outsider. The second point is committed to partnership. All throughout the Bible we have this idea of covenant, um, which in its simplest form is partnership. And we see all the way through the Bible that God is committed to partnering with humanity to work out his, his purposes on earth, which I think is incredible. And I'm sure you're familiar with the word church, the term church, we're in church tonight, we are the church, we're the body of Christ. But the, the term church actually means an assembly of people who are called out. So we are the called out ones. And right back in the beginning when God called Israel, they were the first assembly of God, they were the, the called out ones who were meant, were meant to represent and partner with God to bring renewal to humanity. In Exodus 6, God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. And further on in Exodus, God says, if you will listen obediently to what I say and keep my covenant out of, out of all peoples, you'll be my special treasure. 
the whole earth is mine to choose from, but you're special, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Yet one of the resounding themes of the Old Testament is that Israel fail in this partnership. They keep messing up, keep doing it wrong, and they break the covenant. Israel were the called out ones. They were blessed to be a blessing to the rest of the world, but they kept tripping up their hard-heartedness and their rebelliousness prevented that from being fulfilled. And then when we ju- again we jump to the New Testament story, we see this Judaism, this inward-focused hierarchical religion. The Jewish leaders had it all wrong. Their faith had become rotten. And again, Jesus so beautifully brings it back to the heart of God's original intention. He engages with the outsider, the tax collector, the prostitute, the adulterer. Jesus himself partners with the Holy Spirit in fulfilling his Father's mission, bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And Jesus himself embodies what it means to be God, what it means to be love, what it means to be forgiveness and new life. So Jesus reforms the framework of church. He redefines what church is. The called out ones now become Jesus' disciples. That's us. We're that same people today. 2,000 years later, we are Jesus' disciples. We are the called out ones designed to partner with God. The way that God has transformed us from outsiders to insiders, that's the message he has for the world and that's the calling that he set us apart on. So we're called to spread that same beautiful message to the rest of the world. And actually we're partners together. We're the church The Apostle Paul uses the idea of the church being a body. We're connected, we're reliant and dependent on each other. And together we fulfill this mission, it's a co-mission. And the same Peter that we're reading about tonight, he he writes a letter found later on in the Bible. And just remember those two passages I read from Exodus. Peter uses the same language here, but applies it to the church context today. And he says, but you are the chosen ones by God. Chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. From nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. So Jesus is reaffirming God's heart. Commitment to the outsider through commitment to partnership. And God wants to partner with us in mission. Back in our passage in in, in verse 32, Cornelius said... Four days ago, about this time, mid-afternoon, I was at home praying, and suddenly there was a man right in front of me, flooding the room with light. He said, Cornelius, your daily prayers and your neighbourly acts have committed you to God's att- uh, brought me to God's attention. And verse 44 says as well, No sooner were these words out of Peter's mouth than the Holy Spirit came on the listeners. And God, God was even at work before Peter arrived on the scene. God was doing something before you know, Peter even imagined this scenario would happen. And I think we often underestimate how busy God is behind the scenes. God's doing things all the time. And we don't see it necessarily, but he's there. It's something I pray quite often, that even in the darkest corners of this earth, where I, I couldn't even imagine the darkness, that God's spirit is there. And I think as a church, we can so often um, restrict our understanding of the Holy Spirit to the one who brings the excitement to our meetings, who brings the life to our meetings and that's not wrong, he, he does that. But when we read through Acts, we, what we witness is the fact that all his energy, all his concerns are towards partnering with the church and, and advancing this gospel into all the earth. And behind the scenes as well, we see here that um, Cornelius is praying, he's questioning, he's got this relationship with God behind the scenes. And I wonder how many people we know pray behind the scenes. I wonder how many people we know are writhing for some sort of answers and hope behind the scenes. And I was thinking about this, it's dangerous to think that God could um, 
to suggest that God couldn't do any of this without us because because he could do but he's chosen to partner with us he's chosen to do this together he's chosen that we would be his witnesses he's done all the hard work he's created this good news and he wants us to be the ones that take that message out into the world we're doing this together and uh, my godfather um, a guy called Paul Hudson a few of you know him not, not this guy He is called Paul Hudson, yeah, not just pointing out random members of the congregation. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, Paul Hudson uh, is my godfather. And he's the director of the International Missions, and um, I love him, he's so passionate about the gospel, he's so passionate about seeing the gospel moving to all the earth. And he said recently, I saw it on, it came up on Facebook, the church he was preaching in um, quoted him on this, and listen to this. We don't, need, we don't need a move of God's spirit. What we do need is a move of God's people. Why? Because God's already there. He's doing things. He's busy in ways that we can't begin to imagine. And, but he wants to do this together. God wants to partner with us. And he's committed to partnership more than we'll ever understand. And he's calling us to be as committed because the big picture is that God is seeking people to worship him. That if our full calling as human beings is to worship God, we're called to go and make disciples. We're called to go and make worshippers. And Jesus says this in, in John chapter 4. He says, that's the kind of people the fa- my father is looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in worship. And the American pastor, theologian, John Piper says, missions exists because worship doesn't. So the, the ultimate goal of humanity is that we worship God. And the reason missions is there is because there are communities, there are people, there are cities and countries on this earth where worship doesn't happen. People don't know the good news. People don't know who God is. God is calling all those who are outside to become insiders and to find their place in his kingdom. And we are the messengers. So we need to prioritise mission. Jesus is sending us out. We need to commit ourselves to mission and to commit ourselves to partnering with God and Peter's story in this passage is one of unquestionable obedience and dependence upon the Holy Spirit and that fundamental calling is the same calling for us today it's passed down the generations and so I want to bring you back to this question again that I want this whole thing to rotate around really so in light of that so committed to the outsider committed to partnership how and to whom are you being a witness to Jesus and the gospel? Are you committed to partnering with God in the renewal of all things? Are you committed to partnering with the Holy Spirit? How and to whom are you being a witness to Jesus and the gospel? And then my final point is commitment to the gospel. Verse 34, right to the end of our passage. I won't read it all. I'll just read this first little bit. Peter explodes with the good news. It's God's own truth. Nothing could be plainer. God plays no favourites. It makes no difference who you are or where you're from. If you want God and are ready to do as he says, the door is open. The message he sent to the children of Israel that through Jesus Christ, everything is being put together again. Well, he's doing it everywhere and among everyone. See, this, this is the gospel. 
This is the gospel story. It's the open door policy that God's got into this new life. And it's interesting to think that Peter didn't have to rustle around in his pocket for a little, a little gospel leaflet or some literature, or he didn't point them in the direction of the, the vicar. This was the, the story that was engraved on his heart. This was the thing that was running in the forefront of his mind. He exploded with this good news. How close is the gospel to your heart? Is it on the tip of your tongue? Peter's letter again, he says this, be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are and always, always with the utmost courtesy. You see, Peter is instructing the church to always be prepared to share this message. The eagerness is there. The preparation is there. This is your story. This is God's story engraved onto you. Are you ready to share it with people? And actually, it's a lifestyle. The gospel is a lifestyle that prompts people to ask the question, why are you so different? Why on earth are you so different? What makes you different from me? And the Apostle Paul, the most sort of prominent figure in terms of taking this gospel to the non-Jewish world, he says this in his letter to the Roman church. Um, he says, for I am not the least bit embarrassed about the gospel. I won't, I won't shy away from it because it is God's power to save every person who believes. First the Jew and then the non-Jew. So we're carrying this amazing message around with us. It's powerful. It's got power to save. So how close is this message to your heart? Is it in your mind? If I was to ask you now what the gospel message is, would you be able to relay that to me? How enthusiastic would you be about this? I was a bit unsure whether to share this story, but I think it's, I think it's worthwhile. It's a bit of a, a testimony. Um, when, I, when I left college, um, people were preparing to go and be, be doctors and uh, well, all sorts of things, really. And I was sort of sat there thinking, I don't know what to do with my, my life, really. Um, and I had no idea what was next. I didn't want to go to university for the sake of it. I was thinking about doing games design because I like computer games. But it didn't really seem sensible. And I, got, I ended up getting a job as an apprentice in a, an architectural office. And I was there for seven years before we moved down here, in which at the time I was studying part-time and working full-time. And in the office there was one senior member of staff who was really, really difficult. And he always looked for opportunities to, to rip you apart and to try and degrade you and to make himself look better. He was always after his own reputation. Um, generally, the rest of the people in the office didn't really get along with him. Uh, he was very, very awkward and very difficult. And I was working under him for, for nearly seven years. And I had the real conflict being brought up in the church I was aware of the gospel I was aware of having to communicate this good news to people and every day I got into the office that oh not this guy again and the challenge was how on earth do I represent the gospel to this somebody so difficult um, and I failed pretty regularly <laughs> um, but I strove to represent Christ there I strove to, to represent the good news there and by the time I left in 2014, I would actually call him one of the one of um, sort of the closest 
sort of friends, colleagues that I had at, at that place. And years and years of me grinding him down with grace and love and grace and love. And event, every now and again calling him a name. Um, this guy started to change. He was very, very different from when I arrived. And the atmosphere of the office was different from when I arrived. Um, and I didn't do anything special. I just tried and tried to represent Christ there. I tried to embody the gospel in the office. And Jesus did something. Jesus did something. And um, he got me this really, really nice card when I left. I um, just wanted to read a little bit of it to you. It's amazing what happens underneath um, the surface of people if you're just willing to be committed to the gospel. Um, which bits do I read that aren't too soppy? Um, he said, no need for a card saying good luck or goodbye. Um, you're a special guy with a, spe- with a big heart and you knew how to deal and handle a difficult character like me. never judged uh, you just got on with life in your way you taught me so much and teased out a little bit of my spiritual core All right. I hope I don't lapse uh, without you and your gentle guidance, guidance nearby. But I hope it grows at least a little, little bit more. The Bible you got me will be treasured um, more now that you're gone. And he goes on a little bit more. It's amazing what happens when you commit yourself to the gospel. And why do I share that story with you? Because witness doesn't always take the shape of the story it does here in Acts. It's not always as straightforward as this. And I think Rich is great at bringing us into the mindset of our culture. What's different now than it was back when Peter was sharing this story? And... What I found is that commitment and consistency and genuine relationship are necessary when it comes to being a witness. And sometimes you have to play, play this out long term because people need trust, people need sincerity. And Francis of Assisi, who was a, a medieval Italian preacher, says, preach the gospel every day and if necessary, use words. We must model, we need to embody the gospel. It needs to be a part of us. It needs to be found in every moment, every word, every thought. But this doesn't mean that we need to lose our energy. It doesn't mean that we should lose our zeal for the gospel because people need to hear this. It's got the power to save. So let's be committed to the gospel. And I want to bring you back to this question one last time. Committed to the outsider, we're committed to partnering with God and we're committed to the gospel. So, how and to whom are you being a witness to Jesus and the gospel?
Are you committed to the gospel? How are you presenting the gospel? Are you ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks for why you're living the way that you're living? So Peter and the early church in Acts, they set such a standard for what it means to be devoted, active, missional followers of Christ. And imagine if we as a generation, we as a church, rose to be a people with the same anguish for the outsider, the same dependence upon the Holy Spirit, and the same passion for the gospel that Peter and his crew had in the early church. Are you committed to the outsider? Are you committed to partnership? Are you committed to the gospel? Let's stand together.